All right, now the mic's hot. No more goofing around. All right, uh, let's pray. Almighty and ever-living God, as your only begotten Son was this day presented in the temple in the substance of our flesh, grant that we may be presented to you with pure and clean hearts through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. All right. Uh, so this is actually inaccurate. Yesterday was the Feast of the Purification of Mary and the presentation of Jesus in the temple. That's, of course, when um, Anna the prophetess and Simeon the prophet see baby Jesus. And then Simeon sings what song midweek? I know we haven't technically gotten there yet, but do you think you can guess? What New Testament canticle? It's not the Magnificat, it's not the Benedictus, but it is the Lord, now lettest thou thy servant, the nunc dimittis. Yeah. Simeon sings that. So that was actually yesterday, but we're so close. We can still celebrate it today. It's also called Candlemas. And that's different. That's February 2nd. That's different than the circumcision of Jesus, which happens eight days after Jesus' birth. And it's, I, it's, it's funny to me when, when people who aren't Christians find out that you celebrate the circumcision of Jesus. What? Why on earth would you do that? What's there to celebrate? And you say, because... The Christ who was born to save us by the shedding of his blood sheds his blood for the first time for us on this day as man. In the flesh, he sheds his blood. Um, also, unrelated, but I'm thinking about it, did anybody see that pizza hut in Canada? They put a sign on the door, and I guess they didn't know how to spell correctly because it was supposed to say, due to unforeseen circumstances, oh, no. and it said, due to unforeseen circumcisions. <laughs> Imagine going up, you just want to get a pizza, and it's due to unforeseen circumcisions, what is going on? <laughs> and then, and then the pizza, somebody put it on Twitter, and the, you know, of course, the Pizza Hut official page said, we swear, the only thing we cut is pizzas. <laughs> so, you know, what a world, huh? Every now and then there's a little ray of sunshine like that. Makes it all worthwhile. All right. You said, that was like you're getting ready to ask a question, breath, and I was going to say, no questions about unforeseen circumcisions. <laughs> That's for another place and another time. All right, um, a few quick review things. Let me make sure I'm actually reviewing what I want to. Right, so last week was basically the, the whole week, or the whole class was prodigal son, which is great. It's always, we always try to make sure that we're spending the whole class time on that one parable, because that one's one of the most important parables for catechumenate, but it also is one of the most important parables kind of in the Gospels. So. You remember then, the father is weird because he drops dead for his son. He, he shames himself by running to his son. He shames himself by going out to the other son in making, in, instead of making them come to him. And then the younger son is shameful. He's a prodigal because he tells his dad to drop dead, takes his stuff and goes away. The other son is also prodigal, even though he stays 
because he stays, but he doesn't love his father. He's there in his body, but he doesn't care about it. All he wants is the stuff too. Just like his younger son, he's just more polite about it. And you, you see that when he complains, well, you never gave me this, blah, blah, blah. And his father says, everything I have is already yours. Did you, you never asked for it. If you wanted it, I would have given it to you. But this is a bigger deal than just you being with me because your son was dead and is alive. And that's what happens every single time you come to confession and absolution. Anytime your sins are absolved, that's what it is. It's the father running to meet you, grabbing you, holding on to you, putting shoes on your feet, putting a ring on your finger, hugging you, kissing you, bringing in, and then guess what? We have a feast. The feast of victory for our God. You know, like we sing at Eastertide. Sirsha always says, oh, I can't wait until Easter because then we get to sing, this is the feast. <laughs> the first year that she knew what was going on and then Eastertide was over and it was, it was uh, whatever, what's um, Pentecost or something? She came to church, Easter was done and she cried in the service because she, here we are getting ready, you know, the, the Agnus Day is done and she sits down to get the hymn book and she wants to open it up and then it's something else. And she goes, what? what about this is the feast? <laughs> and then of course Marla said, well, I was sad too. <laughs> you know, everything, everything is seasonal. So um, that's what happens. Your sins are forgiven hey, we're not going to talk about it. In fact, we're going to throw a party because you're back. You were dead, but now you're alive. You were lost. Now you're found. I've got you back. Everything's good. And remember, this is really important. You are nothing if not given to. Everything that you have is a gift. And you are always somebody who receives. Way back when, when we talked about faith, that's one of faith's things is it's passive. When you have faith, what that means is that something is happening to you and that you receive it in love. Jesus says, I'm gonna work on you. I'm gonna do this to you. And you say, oh, okay, you mean I don't have to do it myself? And he says, ha, not even if you could would I let you. Sort of like when you have people over to the house and they say, well, I can help you clean the dishes or clear the table. And you say, don't you dare. Let's, let us love you. Let us take care of you. That's what it is, okay? That's what Jesus says. Now, remember this too. Where does the forgiveness of sins happen? It happens this way and it happens this way. So that there's absolution this way. You and God, God absolves your sins, which means when God opens up his book, it's, uh, you say, well, you know, I've got some sins in there. And he's like, have you seen Young Frankenstein? The, you know, the Mel Brooks movie? Oh my goodness. Oh, uncultured. <laughs> You've got to see that movie, but there's a part where Igor's hump just switches sides. And he, and he looks at him and he says, wait a minute, wasn't your hump on the other side? And he just says, what hump? <laughs> and that's what, that's what happens when Jesus comes and, you, and he's opening his book and he says, uh, let's see, Holt, 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 Holt. Maybe it's under Ellis. Mm, I don't know, I can't really find anything. And Holt says, Oh no, I'm definitely in there. There's definitely sins in there. And then he closes the book and he looks at Holt and he says, what sins? 
That's what the forgiveness of sins is. Wasn't, weren't, weren't the sins? Maybe the sins are in the other book. What sins? What book? I don't know. I don't know anything about that. I don't know what you're talking about, guy. Your sins are forgiven. I, I, I don't even remember them anymore. Okay? So that's that plane. This plane is not forgiving and forgetting, which is a nice thing to say, and if only we could do that, but we can't. But what, does it, what, what do we do to forgive your neighbor? When Emma sins against me, no, actually, we'll do Memphis. When Memphis sins against me and slanders me in midweek, and then I go to him, and we duke it out, and we set things straight, and I say, Memphis, I forgive you for accusing me of being unfair. <laughs> hey, life's not fair, kid. Get used to it. Uh, then, you know, so, so when, when you sin against somebody else or somebody sins against you and you go and you, you confess your sins to one another, you forgive one another, what does that mean? It's not the same as, as this plane because when you forgive your brother, it's not... Jesus up there erasing it out of his book, he'll do that himself. But what is it on this plane? Remember what I told you last week? Living as if it hadn't happened. Mm hmm. Living as if you had forgotten. Which is also the same as saying that whatever that thing was is not the thing that determines how you interact with that person. So if somebody you know, yells at me and says something very hurtful, then the next time I see them, it's a very easy thing for me to give them the cold shoulder or to try and get a dig in just to remind them that I remember what they said and they were wrong, something like that. So that's just a really common, easy example. But instead of doing that, I pretend as if nothing has happened. Why? Because according to Jesus, nothing has. <laughs> do you see that? So why do you live as if you had forgotten? Because Jesus has forgotten, and you live like Jesus lives, because you love him. So you want to be more like him, which means the people that Jesus loves, you love, even if they're horrible, cruel, nasty people. And when Jesus forgives somebody their sins, then you do too. When Jesus says, what sins? Then you do the same. It's not, it's not primarily out of the love of your neighbor, only secondarily. Because what's the rule? Who do you love first? Yeah, you love Jesus first, and then you love the people Jesus loves second. That's, the, that's really what the, the summary of the law is. We'll get to the law in a couple weeks, but you love, you know, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. What does that mean? It means love Jesus and love the people Jesus loves, which includes yourself, by the way, which is why you have to love your neighbor at least as much as you love yourself. You should love yourself because Jesus loves you. If you don't love yourself, then you're, you're disagreeing with Jesus. See how that works? 
Now, we talked about that. When Jesus says your sins are forgiven, you don't get to go back to him and say, well, I don't know about that. They're pretty bad. No, you're disagreeing with Jesus. That's not what faith does. Faith just says, amen. I agree, Jesus. Oh, okay, you say that? I'm a good bear? Oh, okay. And then you cheer up suddenly, remember? Winnie the Pooh. All right, so that's where we are. Any questions about any of that? Most of today, maybe a little bit next time. Uh, actually, next time, too. I just know that because I know what we are going to do today. Uh, it's going to be really talking about why we confess. So you know what confession is, you know what it does, and of course that should be enough of a motivator for you to say, oh yeah, well, it does all these good things, so why wouldn't I confess my sins? And of course I told you what Luther said, when I tell you to go to confession, I'm doing nothing more than telling you to be a Christian. Because a Christian gets up in the morning, looks in the mirror, and sees himself for who he is and knows that he needs to be made better and knows that the only person who can do it is Jesus. So he goes to Jesus and he says, look at this zit on my nose. Can you please take care of it? And Jesus says, oh, sure. Don't worry. I'll have you looking great for prom tonight. It's going to be fine. Don't worry. Okay, that's sort of how it is. So we need to talk a little bit about sin. Now is the time when I need audience participation. So I, there's too many Bible verses for me to look up on my own. I'm going to take one of them, but here's what I need. I need one person to look up Romans 3.23. Who's going to do that for me? All right, Sue. You'll have to remember which ones you've been assigned, because by the time I get to the next person, I'm already, I'm already off memory lane, folks. <laughs> okay, so Romans 3.23. I'm taking Job. I need somebody to look up Proverbs 11.19. Who's going to do that for me? Proverbs 11:19. Sorry, you got to be faster than that, Liam. Second uh, Chronicles 7:14. Second Chronicles. Memphis has Second Chronicles. And then lastly, I need somebody to look up First John 1, 8 to 9. Who wants First John 1? All right, Liam. Got to be faster than that, Leela. <laughs> uh, okay. So quick, 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 quick. Hopefully, you'll get the point that I'm going to try to make for you here. I don't even remember which one you took. Which one did you take? Second Chronicles. Okay. Second Chronicles 7, 14. Yeah, it looks like we're in the same memory boat here, Memphis. I am so sorry for you because I tell you what. <laughs> you're along for a ride on this one. <laughs> okay, does anybody else need a reminder? Yes. First, for First John. First John 1, 8 to 9. I don't, what one do you have? Proverbs. 11, 19. Did you open right to it? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> Proverbs 11, 19. It's easy to get dyslexic. You know, you hear Proverbs 11, 19, and you turn to Proverbs 19, 11, and you say, what's going on? This doesn't match. <laughs> don't say that. Oh, I, I know, but now you'll have Oh, I don't, want, yeah, I don't want you confused. No, don't come into the boat with me in Memphis. <laughs> I'm going to try to rescue you, Memphis, but I, you know, I'm not confident in my abilities. <laughs> All right. Here we go. Here we go. Let's start Romans 3.23. Who's got that? That's you, Sue. Okay, what does that say? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Yes, all have sinned. And what does it mean to sin? Can you, can you tell me what, what it means to sin in just probably the shortest way possible? Yes, Leah. 
good girl. That's exactly the right answer. That's the best answer you could possibly give. To, to sin is to disobey God. It's disagreeing. It's turning away. It's rebellion. It's not loving God. It's all of that stuff. But God, Jesus says, go this way and you go the other way. <laughs> now, who does that hurt? Yes, Leela? No. Who does that hurt? If Jesus says, go this way and you go the other way, who's getting hurt by that? You are! <laughs> okay, so here's the thing about sin, right? God, we'll talk a lot more about the law when we get to, to the word and, and all of that. But the thing is, the, the reason that Jesus is, is, he wants you to go and confess your sins and not to touch those things is just because they're bad for you. It's, it's like why I tell you, please don't go and put your nose in a meat slicer. And you, and you, you, you might chuckle at that because, well, who would do that? Well, that's the whole point. You know, I don't say anything on accident. So don't put your nose in a meat slicer. Well, why would I do that? Yeah, of course. Why would you do that? Because it's dumb and it hurts you. It's not good for you to do that. So I'm telling you not to do it. Now you might say, pastor's such a buzzkill. He doesn't want me to do anything fun. And that's the way the world looks at Jesus. No, Jesus is a buzzkill. By the way, what's the fastest growing religion in the world right now? Don't say Christianity, because Christianity is dead right now. Safe. Well, you're, you're jumping the gun just a little bit. I was, I was going to... You're, you're right to a degree. So Satanism is the fastest growing denomination... But what's the fastest growing religion? No. Secularism? Can you? Mm, no. Think of, think of, uh, think of the good old days of, think of the good old days of my ancestors who lived up in paganism, yeah. Let me finish about my ancestors, though. Uh, you know, the, my ancestors are Vikings and Gales and Picts. And if you don't know anything, you know about the Vikings, you might not know about the Gales. The Gales are the peoples that became the Welsh, the Irish, and, the Scot and some of the Scottish. But then there's the Picts. The Picts were North Britain and sort of Scotland. And the Picts are also what became part of Scotland, but the Picts were some of the meanest, roughest, toughest guys in the world. You know, uh, Hadrian's Wall? You know about Hadrian's Wall? You ever learned about that in history? So the Romans, you know, the Romans had Britain. The Roman Empire went all the way into England. They had Britain. But Hadrian was one of the Roman generals. He built this wall in northern Britain because he was afraid of the Picts. The Romans were afraid of the Picts. They're the ones that paint, they, were, they ran out to fight naked and they painted themselves blue. And the Romans wrote letters about them and they said, we don't know what these people are. They're not afraid to die. They don't wear any armor. They scream like wild people. They have wild hair. They run out of the woods. They're all blue. They're like spirits of the forest. And they're, they're, all of the Romans, the brave Romans, were scared of them. But what did they do? The Gales, the Picts, the Celts, the 
Vikings, what was their religion? Paganism. And that's the fastest growing religion now. There are actually people who believe in the God of the sun and the God of the moon and the God of the earth and they worship and sometimes sacrifice and do things. That's the fastest growing religion. And the fastest growing denomination is the Church of Satan. Now the Church of Satan has two levels. There's sort of the popular level and then the little underground, more nefarious level. The nefarious level is the you know, ritual abortions, the big parties like Rosemary's Baby, you know, all of this kind of stuff. The, the more visible side of the Church of Satan, though, is basically pleasure-seeking. And why do they hate Christians and Christianity and Jesus? Because you deny the self. Because Jesus says, I shouldn't put my nose in a meat slicer. But Satan says, if I really, really want to, and if it makes me happy to do it, I should be allowed to do it. That's what makes Satan so much better. Because he lets me do what I want to do. But the thing is, is that loving? If my daughter said, hey, there's a, a pretty bottle there under the sink and it smells good, I'd really like to have a cup of that to drink. And I say, oh, well, if you really want it, sure, you can drink it. Am I being loving by, by letting her do what makes her happy? No, it's going to kill her. I don't let her drink bleach for the same reason I don't let you put your nose in a meat slicer. It's bad for you. And maybe you would have a lot of fun, but you'd also be in a lot of hurt. And that's not what we're about. Okay? That's not what Jesus is about. So, sin is bad for you. Let's keep going. Uh, Job, that's me. There's, I'm going to read you some excerpts because this is a whole chapter, Job 18. So here's verse 5. This is an important one. The light of the wicked indeed goes out, and the flame of his fire does not shine. The light is dark in his tent, and his lamp beside him is put out. Think of, you know, the old, you remember your old Bible song? This little light of mine. You know, don't let Satan it out. Well, look at this. The light of the wicked goes out. Okay, and then um, the memory of him perishes from the earth and he has no name among the renowned. What is your name? Think back early in catechumenate. What's your name? The name of the trying God. Mm-hmm. Remember, you're branded. I didn't ask what you're called. I asked what your name is. You're branded. You're baptism. You've got a name. They don't have a name. You're a people. They're not a people. They're forgotten. And what do you hear in the New Testament? What does Jesus say? Think of the parable of the bridegroom, the, the wise and the foolish virgins, and you know, the Foolish ones, they, oh, oh, shoot, we don't have any oil. Can we share? And they say, no, if we share, all of ours are going to go out. We don't have enough for that. We only have enough for us. Go buy some. So they quick run to Walmart. But when they come back from Maryville, the doors are already closed. And what does the master say? I never knew you. I never knew you. Who are you? You're forgotten. You don't have a name. Hey. Um, 
Surely such are the dwellings of the wicked, and this is the place of him who does not know God. He is driven from light into darkness, and he is chased out of the world. All right. Sin seems pretty serious, doesn't it? All right, Proverbs 11. That's you, right? Yes. Okay, 11.19. (laughs) As righteousness leads to life, so he who pursues evil pursues it to his own death. Righteousness leads to life. Sin leads leads to death. And what do we hear? The other one from Romans that everybody knows, the wages. Yeah, you you, you get what you've earned, and your wages for sinning is death. What's the big refrain of mine? Touch. Mm, not, not good things. Holy things, yeah. You're right, but not right enough. This is one where this has to be sort of specific. You have to touch holy things. So touch holy things and don't touch evil things. What happens if you touch a holy thing? You become more holy. You become more holy. It gives incarnation to holiness. What happens if you touch evil things? This is, by the way, this is Saoirse's big thing. I'm just going to, while you think about that, I'm going to tell you this. This is her big thing. So she'll go with me for shut-in visits. And the entire drive out to Fairfax or to Rockport or to Maitland or wherever and back is, what happens if you touch a fill-in-the-blank? Hmm. What happens if you touch a good cow? Okay. What happens if you touch a naughty cow? What happens if a Power Ranger touches a cow? What happens if... If a yeti comes to our house and we touch him, what happens if you touch a snake? What happens if you touch an ant? What happens if you push your hand in the water and you touch a fish? What happens if you touch? What happens if you touch? What ha- That's it. Every question is, what happens if you touch? And anytime she learns about something new, the first question is, oh, what happens if you touch that? <laughs> and I actually really love that as a pastor to be able to tell you that story. You know, she... I'm not going to, well, let's sit down, daughter. We'll have a theological lesson. That's the bad part about being pastor's daughter is everything has a lesson. Oh, well, look. But I can tell you about that because that's really actually the way that the Christian life is. So you look at the Lord and you say, huh, well, that looks like a holy thing. And, you know, he's, yep, that's a holy thing. Hmm. What happens if I touch it? Oh, then you become holy. You should make sure you touch that. Oh, okay. What about that thing? Oh, that's not good. That's a meat slicer. You don't touch that. Well, what if I want to put my nose in it? Oh, you really shouldn't do that. Okay. Uh, Well, what happens if I do, though? Oh, well, then it's bad for you. Incarnates evil in you. Okay. You touch something, you touch something evil, and it incarnates evil in you. Evil is a real thing, but when you touch evil, it gives evil a body. So think about something like hatred. Right? Like the prodigal, the, the older prodigal son from last week. He sits and he festers in his hatred and then he says things about his son, rumors about his son that how does he know what his his brother was doing? But he just, well, I'm sure that that's what he was doing. And it sits and it festers. You know, uh, the Didache talks like this, the early church fathers do, even the medieval fathers, they talk about a chain reaction of sin. You touch one unholy thing. And it doesn't just mean taking my hand and doing it, you know. There's that other song, oh, be careful, little hands, what you touch. You know, that one too. Like, don't, don't let anything get into you from your eyes or from your ears. Don't, don't eat food.
food that was sacrificed to idols. Don't take anything unholy in through your mouth. Don't take anything unholy in by touching with your fingers. Don't take anything unholy in by smell. Why do we burn incense here at church? Did you know we burn incense here? If you pay attention, you can smell it. I don't do it during the service because I, I don't want to scandalize anybody. But we burn, I burn it before the service and fill the sanctuary up. It has a sweet smell. Why do we do that? Because it's a holy smell. One, because Jesus likes it. How do you know Jesus likes it? Because he gave us the recipe. Read the book of Exodus. He said, hey, I like sweet smells. I want you to make this sweet smell and I want you to put it in the church. And here's how to make it. Cook it up. Sugar and spice. Okay, and uh, so when you come into church, eat, church should look different, it should sound different, it should smell different, it should taste different. How do we make church taste different? This is a tough one. We'll see if you can figure it out. Communion. The communion wine, that's right. What's so different about the communion wine? You're on the right track. Now I want to see if you know how you got onto the right track. It's fine to say, you know, it's not. There's before that you can't get the wine anywhere else. That's right, you can't get anywhere else. Do you know how you get that wine? That wine, you have to get, you can only get if you're a church. And that wine is made in a monastery in California. And it has a big stamp on it for sacramental use only. And we pay a little bit more for that wine than we would going down to the gas station and getting a jug of Mogan David. You know, one of those big boys. <laughs> okay, but it's worth it for the church. Why? Because it tastes different. Because I don't want you coming up to communion, taking a big old swig out of that chalice, saying amen and going, ooh, you know, I could go for some of that tonight with dinner. I don't want that at all, because that's different than what's out here. You can't go to the store and buy what we have here. Everything is different. Smells different, tastes different, sounds different, looks different. The touch is different. You don't go anywhere else and dip your hand in a little bin of water. Everything's different. Okay? So uh, don't, we only touch holy things here. When you touch evil things, it leads to, to harm to you. So the Lord doesn't want you to die. So he says, hey, these are the things to touch. It's not like he's just giving you rules that don't touch any of these things. Go figure something else out to touch. He says, oh no, all of that stuff's garbage. But these are all the best things. Here, take all the best things. You say, oh, I'd like some more best things, please. Amen, amen. Yes, have some more, please. And he says, oh, you want more? Sure. Here you go. Here's more and more and more. He'll give you all the holy things that you want. Just don't go touch the other stuff. Okay. All right. Uh, Second Chronicles. 7.14. By whose name? My name. My name. Who's my? Not Memphis. I'm not my In the name of Memphis. No. <laughs> the Lord. The Lord. Who's, but what name, Memphis? Uh, the Lord. Uh, What's the Lord's name? The What's the Trinity's name? What do we say at the beginning of ser service? In the name. Of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Yeah, there it is. That's the, that's the Lord's name. So... So all the people who are in my name, and, and we just said, you are the Lord's people, you have the Lord's name. So you're the Lord's people, you're called by his name. Okay, keep going, Memphis. My name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and 
turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Yes, I will forgive all of my people who have my name. They turn away. They don't touch that stuff anymore. They come to me. They say, I want to touch this. They give me their sins. I'll take it away from them. This is really good. Up on the board, this is from Sunday because the catechism for the congregation of prayer is confession. Confession, absolution. Confession is giving up your sins. Give your sins to Jesus. He'll take care of them. And then absolution is taking up. That's the rhythm of, that's the, rhythm of the Christian faith. Give up, take up. You never just give something up. You always give it up and then take something up in return. So the way this works with confession and absolution is you give Jesus your sins. Jesus, t Jesus takes up what you give up and you take up what Jesus gives up. Jesus gives up grace and mercy and peace and love and hope and joy, all of that stuff. Okay, now lastly, 1 John 1, 8, 9. Liam! Yeah, so, so here's, you know, give me the short answer then. All of this, is sin good for you? No, no it is not. <laughs> Sin's not good for you. So why does the church not want you to sin? Why does Jesus not want you to sin? Turn away from it, repent. He wants good for you. He wants good for you. Sin's bad for you. You don't have to raise your hand in midweek Memphis. We're pretty casual here. Just shout it on out. Be rude. Yeah, you need to learn to be a little more rude, son. You're way too polite. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> yeah, so he, he doesn't want you touching sin. He doesn't want you messing around with it. He wants you to just give it all up. And how do you give it all up? You come to confession. So why does pastor want you to come to confession? Why does mama church want you to go to confession? Why does Jesus want you to go to confession? And why should you want to go to confession? Because you know that sin is bad for you and that forgiveness is good for you and that all of God's people who give their sins to Jesus get forgiveness of sins in return. So why wouldn't you? You see that? Why would you want to walk around with your sins? It's not good for you. They're bad for you. All right. So here's, I'm going to hand out a little cartoon. This is why the worst advice you can ever give anybody is just listen to your heart or just follow your heart. Your heart will never steer you wrong. We'll find out in a humorous way. <laughs> this is, this is um, a fellow named Adam Ford. We'll get a couple of his books to go to the library. Okay. So let's take a look at this. It's a difficult decision. You really have to listen to your heart. And the boy says, okay, heart, what's it going to be? And of course, what does the heart say? Yeah. Did the heart have to stop to sort of decide, well, maybe I should think about this? Did the heart have to stop and think? No, not, not at all. There's nothing to think about. The heart knows exactly what it wants. And it's to sin. 
This is Romans 7 here. I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me. We've looked at this before. But how to perform what is good I do not find. For the good that I will to do I do not do. But the evil I will not to do that I practice. That's a uniquely Christian uh, problem though. Remember, it's harder to live your life as a Christian than it was as a pagan. Because now you know what's wrong. And you can see what's wrong. And you can see yourself in the mirror, and you realize, my goodness, what am I doing? Such an idiot. Now, if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Okay? So this is the war of the Christian life, is the war, the Bible language is the war uh, uh, of the flesh against the spirit. Or we can say the old man versus the new man. Or all we have to really say is, it's me versus Jesus. Whose will do I want? Do I want my will or do I want Jesus' will? Okay, that's, that's the question. So sin's a bad thing for you, but you're always going to lean that way. Remember, you can choose not to sin, but you cannot choose never to sin. So you're always going to lean that way because your heart is uh, warring against the regenerate heart of the Spirit. But that's why there are all these urgings from the Lord. Hey, listen, I know it's a fight, so work really hard. Be diligent and disciplined to go after only the holy things. That's why the church has all kinds of disciplines. That's why you're supposed to fast. Uh, Jesus says when you fast, not if you fast. Lent's a really great time to do that. Just read my little newsletter blip but I'll, I'll spoil part of it for you, okay? So let's, you know, use Lent if you've never fasted at all in any way. Use Lent as your opportunity to do it. And the rhythm is the same, give up and take up. You never just give something up, you always take something else up. And then you work, it's discipline. So think of the one thing that you think in your head you probably couldn't live without. If there's something that you think you couldn't live without, give it up. Teach yourself to live without it so you're not dependent on it. And if there's something that you think, oh, I could never do that, I'm not holy enough to do that, I could never be a saint, then that's the very thing that you take up. If I think I can't do it, that's the thing I should be working on. And if I think I can't get rid of this, that's the thing I should be getting rid of. Because it's all about love. Everything in the Christian faith is about love. Even the law of God is about love. We'll get that you know, when we get there. But everything's about love. So who do I love? Do I love me or do I love Jesus? And if I love Jesus, then I want to be closer to Jesus. And if I want to be closer to Jesus, it means I have to sort of shed my skin a little bit. I have to get out of myself a little bit. Like in the Chronicles of Narnia, the voyage of the dawn treader. If you've ever, who have you, have, who has not ever read the voyage of the dawn treader? Oh my, <gasps> you too. That's, I read the first book. I liked it. The second book, I got bored. Well, this, yeah, the second one and the third one are a little harder to read, but uh, but they're worth you know they're worth they're worth getting through. So there's a part where the little boy turns into a dragon. I don't want to spoil it, but he and the reason he turns into a dragon is because he does the things a dragon does, and then he sleeps in the place where a dragon sleeps which is code for, he touched unholy things. And then he turned into them. He turned into a dragon. And then, 
Aslan, who of course is Jesus. Not a picture of Jesus, not a type of Jesus. Lewis even said himself, Aslan is Jesus, just in a different world. So Aslan comes and he tells the boy, if you don't want to be a dragon anymore, you need to shed your skin and go and take a bath in this pond of clear water. Now, you know, I know you're all smart people. You're already starting to come along with me a little bit and see what's going on here. So he tries to shed his skin and he, and he gets out of it and it's one perfect dragon skin that he gets out of and then he looks down and he's still a dragon and Aslan says that's not enough. And he does it a couple more times and it's just one skin, one skin, one skin, but he's still a dragon. And Aslan says, you'll have to let me do it for you. We've got to go deeper. So he says, lie down on your back and he takes his lion claw and he puts it in and he just goes and he cuts him open, and he rips the dragon's skin off of him. You've got to shed your skin, because you're a dragon on the outside, but Jesus knows that you want to be better on the inside, but if you don't come to Jesus, and if you don't let Jesus work on you, if you're not disciplined in making sure you're touching the holy things and striving after righteousness, it comes, you know, it doesn't work out as well for you. So, uh, Give something up, take something up, work to be a saint, be disciplined, don't touch the holy things. This is why the church has her disciplines, it's to help you order your life. Why did the, why did the monastic orders pray the offices? You know, every couple hours we're gonna, we're gonna get together and we're gonna pray. We'll get through all 150 Psalms in one week and we'll do that every single week, praying seven times a day. Why would they do that? Because it brings order and structure. Keeps you busy. And if you're busy, you're less inclined to sin. Idle hands are the devil's playground. Where does most sin come from? Boredom. Well, I don't know what else I'll do, so, you know. Might as well sin, I guess. <laughs> Ask my heart what it thinks I should do. I've got some free time in my hand. Sin. Okay. So let's, we're going to talk just a little bit about sin. Leela already basically summed it up for you. What is sin, Leela? Uh, yeah, disobeying God. Dis disobeying, disagreeing. You know, I think I could probably do it better. Kind of a buzzkill. I just want to have some fun. You're Jesus' rebellious teenager. Some of you don't understand that, but the adults do. That's what you are. You are Jesus' rebellious teenager. And he keeps just trying to tell you, this is what's good for you. I'm not trying to be overbearing. You're just not listening to me. And you think that I'm an idiot, and you think that I don't love you, but I'm smarter than you could possibly imagine. And when you get to college, you'll realize <laughs> I remember coming home from college. I was awful. I was an awful teenager. And I wasn't, like, I didn't, I wasn't a delinquent, but I had some attitude. And it was one of those things, you know, you weigh in your head the scales of justice, you know. Is it worth having the last word or making sure my opinion is known by saying what's in my head versus what punishment I'm going to get? And I always said, yes, it is. <laughs> then I went off to college, you know. And you grow up slowly. 18 is not an adult. 
21's not an adult. It takes much more time than that. You gotta go to the school of hard knocks before you really become an adult. You gotta gain a little bit of wisdom. And I came home once, I was talking to my dad and I said, yeah, you know what dad, everything you ever told me through high school and into college, you know, you were basically right about everything. And he just leaned back in his chair and he said, ah, you have no idea how long I've waited to hear you tell me that. <laughs> so, you know, when Jesus comes at last, it's going to be one of those, but he's not going to hold it against you. He's just going to be happy to love you and that you love him. That's what it's all about, right? So, but we need to talk a little bit about the particulars about sin, because we can say sin, generally speaking, hey, rebellion against God, disobeying, disagreeing, saying no thanks, okay? Um, but then there's two, two things that the church talks about. We talk about original sin, and you can make these things more complicated than they really need to be. Basically, when we say original sin, what we mean to say is, when you're born, you're already born sick. Remember what I told you the church is? Back when we talked about baptism, what is the church? Not a country club for saints, but a hospital for sinners. And what does baptism do to you? What's that brand? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, but uh, what does it put on your wrist? The wristband they get into the Your wrist, your hospital wristband. That's, you're, now you're admitted to the hospital. Here you are. Here you are. Here's your wristband. Now you get to come in. And why do you go to the hospital then? Once you're in, what do you do there? Well, yeah, but how? What are you, what are you after when you're at the hospital? Medicine. medicine. I want medicine. Nobody goes to the hospital and says, all right, I'm admitted. Now I get to sit in the waiting room and read some magazines. That's my vacation. I took time off from work to go sit in the waiting room at the hospital. All right. Hey, I want to sleep in one of those beds. Want to hear the beeping all night. No, like, who's going to do that? That's not why you go to the hospital. It's not like it's a vacation. The whole joke is... Hospital food is, you know, hospital food. And the hospital beds are hospital beds. And they tell you to get sleep, and then they wake you up every half an hour. And, you know, that's the hospital. Nobody goes there for vacation. You go there because you're sick and you want to be made better. So you come to the church. You're brought in. Baptism puts that wristband on you. And then you go straight to where your medicine is. That's the Eucharist. Baptism and the Eucharist, they always go together. You can't have one without the other. You don't get to come take your medicine unless you have your wristband. You come up to the altar and Jesus, you know, this is, it's high tech at the hospital now. No, what, they don't have charts or anything. It's all computers. You know, the doctor doesn't come in and, oh, yes. Okay, now it's beep. <laughs> but that's what I say. You come up to the altar and it's mm, beep. All right, here you go. Here's your medicine. But if you can't, if I, if I don't have anything to beep, how do I give you your medicine, right? So you can't have that without this and you can't have this without that. You gotta have them both. So you have a disease, you're born sick, and you need medicine because you're sick, and the whole time that you live, you're sick. And you keep coming back to church to get better, to take your medicine, to get that little bit better, little bit better, little bit better. Jesus is the doctor, pastor's the nurse. Oh yes, welcome. <laughs> okay, Jesus is doctor, pastor's nurse. You come, you get your medicine. 
all right? Because you're sick. That's your original sin. And you're always going to suffer from the symptoms of your original sin, which is why you can never choose not, or you can, you can never choose never to sin. That's like being sick with the cold and taking the medicine that will stop your runny nose and saying, yeah, there will be times when I won't need to blow my nose or have a cough, but I'll not never have to do that. Okay? So that's your original sin. You don't have any control about that. That's just your disease. But then there's what we say is actual sin, which is exactly what it sounds like. Actual sin. When you go and you do something symptomatic of your disease, but still a bad thing. Just like a symptom of a disease is still a bad thing in your body, even though it's a symptom of something greater. Right? So if you have cancer and it causes your bones to waste away so that you're, you're fragile, nobody says, oh, the only problem with you is that you have broken bones. It's that there's a deeper problem there, but we still have to address the fact that there are symptoms. Okay? So your actual sin, those are the, all of the things that you do in thought, in word, in deed, in what you do, in what you don't do, in what you think or don't think, in what you say and what you don't say, um, and the things that you go to confess. You don't come to confession to say, I have original sin. We already know that. That's why you're in the hospital. You come about the other things. You come, these are the, this is what I've done. These are the symptoms of it. Can, we, can you get rid of these? Oh, sure, yeah, we'll take care of that. Make you more comfortable. Um, now, if you, no, nobody here was Roman Catholic. Does anybody here know anything about the Roman Catholics? I'm sure you do, yeah. Okay. In the, in the Roman Catholic Church, they use things like, words like this, they use um, venial sins and mortal sins. Have you ever heard those? Venial sins and mortal sins. Now, it might surprise you, but Lutherans actually use that too. But you, I'm sure you didn't learn about venial and mortal sins when you went through catechism class. <laughs> now, if you go through catechism class in the Roman Catholic Church, you actually have to memorize a list. What is a venial sin? Oh, well, lying to my teacher is just a venial sin, which means it's a sort of like a, it's still a sin, but it's, you know, it's a little sin. Well, it's sort of a no big deal kind of a sin. Okay. And uh, so there's a whole list of like, these are the, the sins that, yeah, sure, they're sins, uh, but they're kind of like, low-level sins. I, I had a Catholic friend that was telling me, like, basically, oh, it's just a venial sin, so I don't care about that much. I don't want to prioritize it. Yeah, that's right. Well, it's just a little sin. And so then you memorize this list of these are all the things that we think are venial sins. And, then, and you know, those are the ones that are like, well, whatever. Um, and then there are the mortal sins, which are what? I mean, what would you think by the name? The really bad ones, right, Memphis? Yeah, so stealing a pack of bubble gum from the grocery store, that's eh, a venial sin, whatever, return it. But killing your next door neighbor, oh, that's a mortal sin. Okay. So now, now Lutherans actually use those terms, we use them differently. So um, what's a venial sin, what's a mortal sin? We don't have lists, because at the end of the day, every sin technically is a mortal sin. Why? Because touch an unholy thing, and it's bad for you, it brings death. Sin always brings death. That's the only, it'll never bring you good things. It only brings death, okay? 
So that's why, back to the Church of Satan, you know, maybe you'll be happy. Although in my experience, the people who have everything that they ever wanted still somehow are unhappy. Because they're still lacking something and they can't figure out what it is. And they, you know, you get everything that you want and still somehow you, you're just not content. And then you don't know why you're not content. Well, it's just a, it's just a disaster. But maybe you are happy. You've got everything that you want. You get to do whatever you want. Maybe you're happy. Maybe you're comfortable. But then you die. And you die, die. Whereas maybe your life isn't always going to be the most comfortable. And maybe you're not always going to be happy in the church. But you will always have joy. Joy and happiness are not the same. Happiness comes and goes, but joy is eternal. In Christ, you always have joy and you always have hope. So it doesn't matter what happens. Maybe you've got a terminal illness. Maybe you lost your house. Maybe you're living paycheck to paycheck. But you can still be joyful because you have more than what you think that you have. You have something that can never be taken away. But every, every sin really is a mortal sin for us. So what do we use the categories for? Well, what we say is, a venial sin is a sin from which you can easily recover. So maybe I stole a package of bubble gum, and then I realized that was bad, and I confessed my sins, and I went and I returned it, and we took care of all of that. I got absolution, and then I say to myself, boy, I'm never going to do that again. And I put that sin behind me, I repent of it, I walk the other way, and then I never do it again. Praise the Lord. Sin is a sin, but that's, we would say that's a venial sin. You have recovered from it. But a mortal sin is one that is not easily recovered from. And, and everybody, that's why we don't put specific sins in these categories, because it's different for everybody. What's a sin that's really easy for you to get over? You just, I'm not asking you to tell me. Don't tell me. Like, we're not, this is not a sharing circle. <laughs> but you, you all know, every individual, it doesn't matter how old or how young you are, you know there are some things that you've done that you just know you're not going to do again. But there are other things that you know you struggle with on a daily basis, and those are the things that can very easily become mortal sins when you decide you're done struggling with them. If you're to the point where you're actually recognizing them as a sin and you're wrestling with them, and you're coming to confession to give them to Jesus, even if you're coming again and again and again and again, you're still fighting it, and that's what you're supposed to be doing. You're in that spiritual warfare. You're living the old, uh, the old man against the new, but the, you're exercising the new man to keep working and to be disciplined and diligent about going after those things that are bad. But when, you've, when you give up and you say, well, whatever, My brother, this is a story I always tell right now in Catechumenate. My brother uh, is, a, is a, a big man. He's younger than I am by two years, but he's almost a head taller than I am, and he's built like a linebacker. Of course, now he's doing, he's doing jujitsu and Muay Thai basically every night of the week. So now he looks like a pro fighter, super trim and just... But he's, he's big and he's, Carolyn says that he's like a bear. When you go to see him bowl, she has a video of it. She took a video of it when, he, when we went bowling as a group one time. And you know, he sort of, 
he picks up a bowling ball and it looks like a golf ball in his hand. And then he sort of, you know, he shuffles down the lane like this. He's just big and he looks like a bear and he's clumsy. His whole life he's been clumsy. Every day he used to trip and fall down the stairs two times a day, but he would hold onto the railing so he'd come down and then slip down on the wood floor at the bottom of the stairs. Okay, like twice a day for 18 years. <laughs> but he was most notorious for somehow falling into any body of water he ever came close to. You know, we'd be somewhere, and he'd be all the way over here, and then 30 seconds later, it's like he teleports, and he's in the water. Nobody knows how he does it. And he's still sort of that way. Like, now he's 30 years old, and we're out somewhere, and then there's, ooh, and he's in the water. It's like, how, how did that happen? Well, my grandpa once took us into Madison to Tenney Park. We were going to go fishing in Tenney Park. It's this big, nice thing Grandpa did. He took all, the, all of us grandkids, well, all of, all of my siblings and I, that side of the grandkids. So here we are fishing on the bridge, just going for sunfish. And all of a sudden, there is this splash. And I look over, and my brother's just wading around in the water. And my grandpa told him to get out. And he cut, you know, tennis shoes and everything. He goes, and my grandpa said, what are you doing? What did you do that for? And my brother said, well, I figured I was going to fall in anyway, so I might as well just jump in. <laughs> okay. Why do I tell this story? Because that's the Christian life when you're looking at your mortal sins. What are you really struggling with? The moment where you say, well, I know I'm going to fall into that sin anyway. I might as well just jump in. That's the moment that it becomes mortal. That's the moment it becomes deadly and awful. And that's the moment it wins. And you've crossed a line. Okay? So do you, do you understand that? the one that's hard to come back from, the one where you surrender your mind, your body, your will, your heart to that sin. The most extreme example is when you say to yourself, I would rather burn in hell than not do that sin anymore. Now that seems extreme, but I think we all know some, at least one person who has said something similar t to that. Usually it's about relationships. Like, Hell, will I ever apologize to so-and-so? I won't make up with them until they come to me. That's bad. That's poison. That kind of thing, you know, holding a grudge, hating somebody like that. You know what, how bad that is? That's drinking poison and waiting for your enemy to die. That'll show them. Yeah, sure will. Smart move there. Really good. Okay, so... Here's the big question, though. What is the chief sin? You know, so you've got your sins you can recover from. You've got your sins you struggle with. And we work not to give in to those, even though you might stumble into them. You might slip into the water, but don't jump in, please. It also scares all the fish away. Then nobody else gets to catch one. Then you have to sit in Grandpa's truck on the seat and get it all wet, and Grandpa gets mad at you. 
What's the chief sin? Pardon me? Right. Yeah. But I mean in the Christian life. Like, not in the hierarchy of what sins do we think are going to be the worst sins, but in your life, what is the worst sin that you can commit? It's sort of a trick because it's different for everybody. Uh, unbelief? Yes. And what does unbelief look like when it comes to your sin? The worst sin, the chief sin, is whichever one you decide not to give to Jesus. The one that you want to hold on to yourself. The one you think you can deal with cold turkey on your own that you don't go to Jesus for. Jesus keeps saying, hey, give it to me, I'll take care of it. And you say, no, nah, you know what, these other ones you can have, but this one, I think I'm going to handle this one. The one you don't give to Jesus is the worst one. Okay? We're at time. So next time we, we've got... Um, We've got a lot to do. We'll talk about some absolutions, some other things. Any questions about any of this? Touch holy things, don't touch unholy things. Watch your eyes, your nose, your mouth, your ears, your hands. Don't touch anything bad, you know, don't look at anything. Smell good things, taste good things, look at good things, read good things. Don't read smut. You know, that's what my, my grandma would say, that's smut. Don't read that. Did you have a question? Okay. All right, well then let's pray here. Yeah, and give your sins to Jesus, right? Because Jesus says he's going to take care of them. Remember what Jesus' mother said, and she's your mother too. Give Jesus your problems. They don't become problems anymore, so just let him have them. They only become problems, really, if you don't give them to him. Two eighty two. Holy God, holy and most gracious Father, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Show us your steadfast love, O Lord. And grant us your salvation. Let your priests be clothed with righteousness. And let your saints shout for joy. Lord, keep this nation under your care. And guide us in the way of justice. 
Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge us Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. For the needy shall not always be forgotten. And the hope of the poor shall not perish forever. Create in me a clean heart, O God. And renew a right spirit within me. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Let my cry come to you. Gracious Jesus, our Lord and our God, at this hour you bore our sins in your own body on the tree, so that we, being dead to sin, might live unto righteousness. Have mercy upon us now and at the hour of our death, and grant to us, your servants, with all others who devoutly remember your blessed passion, a holy and peaceful life in this world, and through your grace, eternal glory in the life to come, where with the Father and the Holy Spirit you live and reign, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Let us bless the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Lord bless us, defend us from all evil, and bring us to everlasting life. Amen. Amen. All right, have a good day. Take some food, take some muffins or fruit. Well, you can, you can fight him for him. <laughs> Make it a fourth commandment issue. <laughs> Yeah, if you want contain, if you want to take anything, take it. If you want a container to bring it in, we've got plenty of containers. So. Pastor, when you were talking about